Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Welcome to episode 200. Thank you, Avery. Well, as Avery said, it is episode number, what is it again, Avery? 200. 200. That's a lot of podcasts, isn't it, Avery? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have a favorite podcast? Uh, this one. This one's your favorite one? Mm-hmm. What do you like the most about the podcast, Avery? I get to talk in the microphone. Do you like talking in the microphone? Yes. Who else is here with us, Avery? Grandpa. Hello, yes, I'm glad to be here, <laughs> especially with Avery. <laughs> we make it a family affair today. Avery, what do you think we should talk about in episode 200 of the podcast? Do you have any ideas? Mm-mm. No? Do you have anything that you like the most about the podcast? Me talking in the microphone. Yeah, that's a pretty good thing. Well, uh, it is episode number 200 of the podcast. It has been a lot of episodes, and I can't believe that we are at number 200 right now. And uh, so I'm excited to... Uh, have my dad with me for this because you've been on a bunch of these podcasts i have it's been quite an honor i uh, actually i have something to to start off just to Uh-oh. kind of play around i'm i'm wondering if we could get pete ends to contact harvard i'd be willing to contact acu mm-hmm. and if you figure you've had 200 podcasts yeah and you're reading let's say for every 10 you're reading at least 10 books and so that's almost the equivalent of a three-hour course. I think that I like where your head's at, Dad. I yeah. like where this is so going. I, I think this should be an honorary doctorate degree from I, Harvard or ACU somewhere. I or should some definitely. comparable university. Yeah, I was finally for the first time asked if I wanted to go into a doctoral program like two weeks ago. And all my other friends have been asked for like years, hey, do you want to come get a D-man or something? And I don't know why, but that was the first time someone actually asked me about doing a D-man. Who asked you? Uh, someone from Lipscomb. Oh, okay. I mean, I told him, no, uh, I wasn't interested at all, <laughs> but maybe that's why he just knew that I wasn't interested in that. <laughs> so if you can't get the doctorate for me, I guess we have to do something as comparable as a doctorate, and that's just, uh, let's talk about the 200 episodes, the first 199, actually, and we've got questions and everything. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I guess before, though, I want to just... Um, say thank you to the listeners. Thank you to the people who, who have uh, supported the show and uh, who have uh, created this uh, very exciting community. And I'm very grateful for just the opportunity to get to do this. And uh, I think I've said this before, but when I started this, it was simply because I wanted to have uh, an opportunity to talk to the people that uh, interest me. And it's been amazing that I've had that opportunity to do that uh, so many times where I've been uh, put in a room or put in front of a microphone with people that have meant a lot to me. And then um, if people don't listen to podcasts, I don't have that opportunity. So I'm very, very grateful for that. And a lot has changed over 200 episodes. I mean, the world of podcasting, uh, if you think about it, the people that are, uh, that have been on the podcast a bunch of times, like Science Mike or, or Rob Bell, um, uh, like they didn't even have podcasts back when I started, right. and now they have their own. Right. And uh, the Enneagram podcast, I think we helped get that one going. And so it's nice looking at my pod children out there. <laughs> your podlings. Yeah, my podlings. That's what it is. Well, you were thanking your guest, and uh, none of your guests have contacted me to thank you, but I do think I'm going to speak for them, and that is 
that uh, I am amazed at just how much I have been enriched, and I assume your listeners have been enriched uh, with the 200 episodes. And I think I can speak pretty confidently that I probably have listened to all 200. I, th- I think you have listened to more podcasts than just about anyone. Uh, you are a devoted podcast listener. So thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, we've got some questions from listeners. Do you think we should get to those, Dad? I think now's a good time. And what if we start off with the money question? <laughs> the money, the qu- money question comes oh, from geez. Chris Cash. You guys wonder where I get my sense of humor from. <laughs> That's it right there. That's, you know, what do you mean? I thought you had this written out. I just read what you wrote. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, your question is, which guests or ideas have most challenged your own thinking or perspective? How has the preparation and the interview process of podcasting affected your pastoral ministry in terms of being present with parishioners, listening, offering care, etc.? Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. Everything that's a good question? Yes. Yes, it is a good question. Um, well, I mean, that's, there's a bunch of things to say there. Uh, ideas that have most challenged my own thinking— I would say a lot of the conversations about <laughs> white privilege have been very uh, mm. perplexing to me uh, in terms of my sense of ownership of the issue and how I have a sense of responsibility to participate and uh, working to a more um, to a more just future. Uh, that's definitely one. In terms of um, uh, pastoral ministry, I think one of the things that I, I find that has been a reoccurring theme is suffering in the podcast. Don't you think we oh, yes. kind of go to that one pretty often? And I think that's been uh, an issue that's really helped me process the importance of suffering uh, by hearing all these like really intelligent people talk about it. And uh, last, yesterday, Thursday, um, I was in my... Um, practice group for my uh, sermon, and on uh, a few days before on Monday, my, uh, my assistant handed me a sheet of paper that has a picture in the names of all the people who are going to be in the group on Thursday, and uh, I saw um, uh, one husband and wife couple that was going to be there, and I was a bit taken back because the sermon on Sunday uh, that I was going to preach uh, was about, like, how do you deal with God in suffering, and how... Um, how there's really no answer, but we have a story of God stepping into suffering with us. And the the family that was in there has a son who had passed away a year ago, mm. uh, a college-age son. Mm. And I, it's one thing to preach to a large group of people, knowing that there are different people in there who have suffered, but to preach to five people, knowing that 40% of your room has gone through that in the last you know 16 months, uh, it, it's overwhelming. And I finished, and... Uh, I, I was so humbled for for the the father to say, you know, I really appreciate the way you said that, and it, his his positive words were very humbling to me. And I, the whole sermon was built around an idea that I got from Francis Spuford uh, in his book Apologetic, who was on the podcast probably two two and a half years ago. And the whole sermon hinged around Spuford's line about. When it comes to suffering, we don't have an answer that makes sense of it, but we have a story that says God is with us in suffering. And so that the sermon, I think, connected to him because I was able to take Francis Spuford's idea, which has been um, 
molded and shaped by the other people I've talked to. And um, yeah, I'm, and so that was definitely a very, very humbling thing. Um, I think also like part of pastoral care is simply asking questions and being able to listen, which it seems like that's kind of the whole thing about the podcast is that you practice asking questions and, and listening. Uh, so that's been a benefit. And, and I, I think the, the most obvious one is like preaching that has solid content comes from a, a place of depth. And I, <clears throat> I feel like one of the motivators for the podcast is that I needed something to reinforce the habit of of reading and being in constant intellectual uh, dialogue, intellectual thought on things that really matter to what I do. And so I feel like there's always resources that I can tap into whenever I'm preaching because I feel like I've been able to hear from a really uh, great group of people that have helped shape that. So um, that's it. That's how it's helped. And as someone who does listening uh, as part of his business, I'm really impressed with how well you have developed uh, your micro skills of listening and helping other people tell their story. So good job. Well, thank you. This is great. I love just the, all the affirmation on this. That's, that's <laughs> really why I bring you on because just all this positive seven energy to me. So thank you. I, I, I learned this from Jonathan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like the anti-dad. Um, okay, let's go to the next one. Well, we have one from Sarah um, Lesta, and she says, has interacting with people from so many different traditions changed your understanding of your own tradition? Also, I wonder if having your dad or friends on the podcast has changed your relationships. Okay, let's go to the tradition one second. Um, the second part of the question, having, uh, having you in the podcast um, it's changed my relationship with my dad and my friends because how many times have I said, dad, 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 wait, 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 let's do that on the podcast. <laughs> I do that a lot, don't I? Yes, you do. Because I don't like to manufacture the conversation a second time because then it just doesn't come across as well. So that's the main way it's changed my friendships. So are you saying the only time we get to talk is whenever we're on a podcast? No, but last <laughs> night, even when we were talking, my first thought was, Oh, Dad, stop this. Let's save it for the podcast, <laughs> which probably isn't very good. But how do you, do you think it's changed our relationship, having you on the podcast? Oh, absolutely. I, th- I think uh, we have something that we've shared, and that doesn't mean just because I've been on, but because I listen to it regularly. And that gives me a chance every week to uh, acknowledge you, to think about and hear what you're saying and thinking yeah. I'm, I feel much closer to you. Oh, that's pretty neat. Well, we'll have to make uh, Avery get a podcast when she gets older so I can eavesdrop into her life. <laughs> <laughs> um, how has it changed uh, the tradition? That's an interesting question. When I was in grad school, hold on. Avery, did you want to say something here? Are you going to get a podcast when you're older so I can eavesdrop into your life? No? Yes or No? No? Okay. Um, when, when I was in grad school, I, did, uh, uh, I, I served at this interdenominational Bible study, which was really like basically Baptist, non-denominational Church of Christ. And uh, so for those of you out there, um, the, the guy who was before me was a gentleman named Matt Chandler, who's a very well-known Baptist uh, pastor in Dallas. And so there was a very strong Baptisty feel to it. And as a 19, 20-year-old, 
I guess I started when I was 21. I had, I had a great deal of awareness of the few issues that I thought the Church of Christ was really off on, which is my tradition, and being able to be opened up to a couple other traditions and seeing some of the hangups that I feel like they have being a part of that and then, you know, speaking to different Baptist denials and summer camps and stuff like that. It, it made me appreciate the fact that every denomination has their hangups. And I know what mine are. I know the baggage that I carry being a part of my tradition. And so I, I think like the first move is moving past the simplistic idea that there's some denomination out there that's got it all figured out. It's all right. Like everyone has their issues. Um, the second, th- like, I think the move after that is like, once you move past that naive assumption, you can start to appreciate the benefits of different traditions and what they have for you. And I think that's like the, that's the really helpful move. And, and you start being able to incorporate, incorporate those things into y- your tradition. And so one of the things that we're doing on Sunday is a practice that we got from Naughty Bulls Weber's church, the uh, the, pra- the prayers of the people, hmm. which uh, I know Storm has stolen that and used it at Highland. And so it's a really, uh, I mean, we'll see how it goes. It might be terrible if that's the case, and I'll just br- blame Nadia. No, I'll blame Jonathan. <laughs> but um, if not, it might be a really great opportunity for our church to try something that another tradition has done. And yeah, so uh, it's been good. Excellent, excellent. Well, I have another question for you. Okay. Uh, this comes from Hillary Livingston, and you have to be a little bit flexible with this to imagine this, but what would your 200th episode self say to your first episode self? Uh, oh, that's a good question. I mean, that'd be a long time. That's like three years ago. Do you think that's when I started that? Is the podcast two years or three years old? I don't know if for we, sure. If it's, we do 50 or so a year, yeah, that, you would assume that it's about three years old. Three or four. I started in October. Um, like three years ago, like I was at a different you know, stage of life. I was doing different things. Um, and so you know, I went from being a church planner uh, with two kids to now being a, uh, you know, a church planner with, I was the only full-time staff person. And I started the church to now I'm, uh, you know, serving on church with, I think, 10 or 12 full-time staff people. And that's, that's been around for years before I got there. And so that's a, I mean, that's a, a major difference. And, and I think what's, what the biggest difference is, I feel like I'm, I'm less deconstructing than I used to be. Mm. And I feel like three years ago, there's still a lot of deconstruction that was going on. And now I find myself in more of a reconstruction phase where I'm not as interested in picking apart things as much as I'm interested in building things. And Rohr has the great line about transcend and include, which I definitely was not as comfortable with transcend and include back then. I think it was more, let me tell you why I've transcended and exclude you. And now it's moving more towards it, like including everything. And I, I think it's even in, as simple as, you know, the spiritual practices that I do. Um, I think three years ago, I really struggled with uh, certain like spiritual disciplines that I'm really starting to appreciate again more. Like, I, I hate to say that I had a quiet time because I still feel like I want to have like this, uh, you know, very erudite, um, you know, intelligent sort of 
pious moment. Instead, it's like yesterday, it was as simple as listening to certain praise and worship songs and then reading the message, which years ago, I would have been just so critical of that. And I would have had this pompous attitude that, well, you know, they haven't read this and they don't know that. And it's not a good translation. It's not accurate. And that's all deconstruction. And now I find myself being able to appreciate and going back to things that would have been my entry-level ways of connecting to God and being able to experience them with a new sense of naivete and uh, enthusiasm. And it's been, a, it's been very beneficial to me. So I, I would say, you know, the big message is that, you know, resur- that it's not just about deconstruction, but reconstruction is around the corner and it can happen. For me, there are so many different phases in life that embrace where you are, listen to your heart, be open to God, try to experience His presence as much as possible in every circumstance. And yeah. the the technique, the the spiritual discipline in and of itself, I don't think, uh, is what changes us. I think it's what opens us up mm-hmm. to God's changing power. Yeah, and so you would... You would say, I would assume, that you've had different seasons in, where, in which different disciplines or mediums have been very beneficial to you. And they absolutely, just, they, absolutely. And so they just change. They change, yeah. And so it's like holding loosely to the forms, knowing that ultimately that, you know, that's, that's moldable and that's part of the, the life cycle. That's it. Good. Good for you. Good. <laughs> hey, I've got another question for you from Randy, and I assume that she... Uh, and she says, what episode would you want to do over and why? Um, hmm. Well, there's a few that like, I just messed up on that I would want to do over just because like the Miroslav Volf conversation, like, I just felt like it was really a stunted conversation that I didn't hear. Like I wasn't able to like just actually listen to him well and, there was a second time that I interviewed Barbara Brown Taylor where I messed up the time zone. And so I was like an hour and a half late <laughs> and I, I still get a little bit of heart palpitation just thinking about that. And so those are the, the, you know, in 200 podcasts, that's going to happen, uh, whatever. But the ones I would want to do over, I think, I think the ones that I'm most excited about because of like the initial opportunity to talk to someone, like the first time I talked to Rob Bell, like that was very, very exciting for me. I still remember getting the email, uh, you know, maybe a week and a half before from uh, my someone who I didn't know now that someone I've worked with a ton, uh, someone from Harper One, and, uh, hey, are you interested in talking to Rob? And I was just ecstatic, and I got a plane ticket out there, and, the, like, the next morning, and, uh, like, I bought the ticket, and then a few days after, I was flying out there, and uh, <laughs> I remember when I, like, the first time I met Rob... I was there a little bit early and he was outside where we're supposed to meet and he was on the phone and he's like, you're, you're Luke. And I was like, I reached my hand out and Rob's like a monster tall. Like he's, he's, he's very overly tall. Like there's no reason to be that tall. <laughs> like we have ladders. Stop growing. It's just, it's a waste. And he's like, goes for the big hug. And so like you're hugging his armpit, which is always unpleasant for everyone involved. And, uh, and then just like the first time get to, getting to meet and talk to someone like that, I, I've, it's hard to replicate the opportunity to first get to do one of these podcasts. You're like, I never thought I'd get to have a podcast like that. And now it's at a different position where the podcast is so 
like the, the, the idea of podcasts are so normal that people are very comfortable doing them. And um, yeah, so I, I would want to do over those, like the, the first time I flew out to, to meet N.T. Wright and I was like so anxious and so nervous. And then the most recent time I talked to old Tom, it was, <laughs> it was with, with Trip Fuller making awful jokes and, uh, and a table full of beer in front of us. Not me drinking, of course. I was drinking water as a good Church of Christ preacher. But it would be just, yeah, there's something about that, like the first time of getting to do a podcast that you couldn't imagine yourself doing. That would be, uh, it would be impossible to replicate now, but that that's would be, that'd be nice to go back to. Well, to do over implies sometimes that uh, you wish you would have done it differently the first time. Well, I'm very glad that you've had many people on there uh, that you've repeated with. Like, for yeah. example, Peter Enns or oh, yeah. Richard Beck or uh, Richard Rohr. Uh, you've done those over and over, and they just continue to be filled with really powerful content. Yeah, I feel like that's the... Like that's the best way to get the best out of someone is to have like a rapport with them and there's trust and there's willingness to um, to be more loose when you have that you're building on. And so I, I love being able to go back and instead of having to do the initial like feeling how the conversation is going to go with the person and understanding how they work, uh, I, I feel like that's the way to go. So yeah, it's been great having... <clears throat> you know, like Pete Enns and, and Roar having some rapport there. And, and obviously Richard Beck has been, uh, he's been great to get to know through the podcast. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, we've got one we're doing in, in front of a live audience in, uh, in two weeks or so. And <clears throat> that should be fun. Where's that going to be? It's going to be in Dallas at a conference that Sally Gary's doing. Oh, yeah. E3 conference. Uh-huh. And so he and I are going to work on that together and <clears throat> it should be fun. Well, let me throw in a plug for Richard Beck. I, you love his book, don't you? I, well, several. I've, actually, yesterday I was reading his Denial of Death, and mm-hmm. uh, of course, Old Scratch. I like that one. Mm-hmm. But I like Richard. And one of the reasons is that Richard not only is uh, scholarship, represents scholarship, articulates really powerful concepts, but, for example, in Old Scratch, where he takes that is, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm learning this from working with people in prison. Oh, yeah. yes, I'm learning this from a fellowship Bible group that I'm involved in and trying to help and minister to. He is actually doing the things that he's talking about. Yeah, yeah that's, that makes a huge difference. I, I, so our friend Paul, Paul Nevison, yes. he... He's obviously interviewed a lot of people over his career, and we were together last time for the Roar thing, and he said, have you met anyone that you were you know, really disappointed with? And I, I said, I never have. I mean, I really, like, I joke with Storman about Scott McKnight, but, I mean, he was very nice. He just doesn't joke around like I do, and he was, he was a great sport, of course. But, I mean, there literally isn't someone that I have been excited to meet and met them and then was like, oh, I wish I wasn't so excited to meet you. And he's had that experience with other, um, other people in, in different sectors. But, uh, I mean, that's been a gift. I mean, it's been great. And Richard, obviously, is top shelf. So, yeah. Well, I have another question for you. All right. This one comes from Chris Peters. 
Uh, you have been in an interesting position of getting to meet a wide variety of people and explore their ideas. I would enjoy hearing about the experience, more about the people you loved and why you enjoyed interviewing them regardless of the content, the quirky stories about how it feels to interview them, and what kind of questions seems to bring joy to both you and them. The question from this would be, what did you find delightful about all the unusual people and what were the differences you noticed that made them unique and special to you? Okay. You kind of addressed some of this already, but yeah. keep going. Well, I think the I think the thing that people the questions that people like are the ones that acknowledge the content of their work, like where you actually read their stuff. Yes. And I remember uh, the first time I interviewed Barbara Brown Taylor, that was the first thing she said as soon as we stopped recording. And she said, or maybe she said it on the mic, but like, I think people really care about someone who's willing to listen to what they do and actually engage with something they've spent so much time doing. And, uh, you know, as someone who's working on some writing, uh, a writing project, I, I really would appreciate someone investing the time in, into something that I've poured so much into. And so I think that's what everyone cares about, is that someone who's really, really willing to listen to them and, and engage with that. Uh, the people that, uh, that I've enjoyed the most, um, I, you know what I enjoy? I really enjoyed, obviously, Becca Stevens. She's one of my favorite people in the world. And I, I was talking to a friend, Laura, about... Uh, I've got a trip to Nashville coming up. And she said, so you're going to try to see Becca Stevens, aren't you? And I was like, well, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Of course I should. <laughs> She's just a, uh, an interesting person who uh, has such a great story. And um, I think the thing with Becca is like my biggest fear as a dad is, you know, what if I'm not here to take care of my kids? Like there's nothing that's more terrifying. And she's, she's lived through that and she's turned out to be this amazing person and, you know, so that's the story. I, 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 and she's just a fascinating person. I, I really enjoyed the, uh, the podcast I did with the comedians, with, with uh, Brent Sullivan and Pete Holmes, <laughs> just because they're just so outside of my, my circle. And a comedian, obviously, is someone who's, you know, articulate and able to communicate well. And that's a big part of having a good podcast is someone who's engaging. But more than that, like, a, you know, a comedian looks at the world and, and they have to do critical thinking to make uh, to make their observations, and so uh, those were fun. Um, the The only time as an adult that I've been offered to smoke weed happened after <laughs> the Pete Holmes podcast, not by Pete, but by someone else uh, leaving the comedy club. So that was pretty special. I, I don't think any other podcast guest has gotten one of his associates to offer me marijuana. So thank <laughs> you for that. Um, I recently watched, and I'm sure you haven't watched it, the Hillsong uh, movie. There's a movie that came no, out I about no. Hillsong United, which is Joel Houston. Remember him? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a, a movie, and I went and watched it with my, uh, my worship leader, Brent. And there was one of the other guys in the band that sings with Joel. Uh, like the first time I met him was in like the locker room, changing room area. And he was like changing and so I was like, hey, first time I met that person, he didn't have pants on. So that was pretty, that was <laughs> pretty neat. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think the, and, and so like here, the thing with interviewing Joel Houston is someone who's been interviewed like so many times that you could tell 
that he's been asked the same question so many times, and he had kind of a uh, you know a routine answer to go to. And I can't blame him for that. I mean, if you're interviewed all the time, uh, you're having the same conversation over and over again. So of course you're going to say the same thing. And I think like the best part of a, a a conversation is when you get people to say, "Oh, I don't know. I've never thought about that." Like that's that's what makes a, a conversation good because mm-hmm. you get fresh mm-hmm. stuff that's that's not processed over. Because as a preacher, I have things that are processed over that I say too, and so I'm not downplaying someone for doing that but to move past it i think that's that's what really connects us well on that last point um i was really impressed with kenneth your your woodward right woodward yes just this last week and you came up with a question i and i think it was um is there a relationship to communism and atheism to uh, American kind of civil Christianity and patriotism. And I was surprised that he said, you know, I don't think I've ever quite thought about that before. Yeah. So again, to me, that says you do your homework. You are uh, really putting a lot of effort in getting prepared. And I think that's one of the things that makes this work so well. Yeah, that is pretty crazy that a guy who's been you know, 40 years as an editor for Newsweek hadn't, you know, thought through that question. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of like interacting with people who, you know, he's a 70 plus year old guy from a Catholic background uh, in the media. And then you have, you know, a 30, 35 year old Church of Christ preacher who's coming at it from a different angle. And right. I think the intersection of the different backgrounds and the different, you know, baggage that we all carry is where something like really special can happen. And, uh, yeah, and I think that's why I love to learn from different people is the same experience that he had coming you know, from a Catholic guy hearing a Church of Christ preacher ask a question uh, is what I get from you know, listening to James Martin talk about the saints or you know, Roar talk about you know, spirituality. I mean, it's just different flavors, bring it all together. Makes the best gumbo. I don't well, know if that's true or not, but it sounds like a good expression. At, well, at least it tastes good. Yeah. All right. I have another one for you. Yeah, this is coming from Eric, and he says, over the course of 200 episodes, who have you interviewed or what has been said that has most profoundly affected you? Hmm. Now, this is going to be an interesting answer. Yeah. Okay, so as a—I would like your, your feedback to this one. As a preacher, I think the sermons that people connect to the most— are not the ones that necessarily say something brand new, but it articulates something that they've been previously unable to express. And so the sermons that really connect to people are not the ones that people go, yeah, I've never thought about that. I don't, I don't know what I think about it, compared to the one who said, yes, I've, I've always felt that way, and n- no one's ever said it before. Like, that's the sermon that I think, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And in my business as a psychologist, oftentimes when I'm just paraphrasing what a person has said, and I put it in just a little bit different words, uh, but it captures what they're trying to articulate, it just kind of opens up a world to them. It helps them to accept and to, to bring about change. So yeah. I think uh, those uh, guests that have articulated uh, the consciousness of your audience helps them to be able to accept and to change at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And so for me, 
like Brian Zahn and, and Pete Enns, both of them kind of come at this from the different angles, but the, the same idea is that the entirety of Scripture is read through the person of Jesus. That makes complete sense to me now. Like, it, it really puts everything... Christocentric. Yeah, Christ, yeah as, Christocentric. Yeah, as yeah. N says. And, and so y- you don't have to make sense of the Old Testament conquest narrative and the genocide and the, all the terrible things that happen in the Old Testament um, with the same level of expectation because you go, the center of all this is Jesus and he interprets the rest of it and he critiques the rest of it. And so th- that's been life-giving to me. Um, I would say, uh, you know, N.T. Wright, it would be hard for me to express uh, my level of appreciation for all uh, the work that he's done. Uh, you mm. know, I, I've got, I don't know, maybe 30 of his books on my shelf and I've got, uh, he's got a new book out and we're going to talk sometime in the next couple of weeks. We haven't nailed down the date yet, but, um, yeah, it would be almost impossible for me to say thank you uh, enough to him. Uh, uh, Richard Rohr, his stuff on spirituality has been life giving to me when, when I found myself in a very, deconstructionist like I'm, I'm i'm breaking apart all the things that i used to hold dearly to and i was left with really not a whole lot to hold on to other than like cynicism and arrogance his work has ushered me into like a reconstruction mentality probably more than anyone else wow richard thank you yeah if you're listening i want to thank you as the father of Luke. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure he is listening to this. Um, I don't think he's ever listened to a podcast, actually. But, uh, yeah, and so it's been... And, and obviously all the other people that I quote multiple times, but I've had them on the podcast, so I can, instead of having to say their name in a sermon, can just say, you know, a friend of mine once. And that's been a great gift to me well, as well. give it another decade, and they'll all be your ideas anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they kind of have... That happens, that that is weird. I at some point, like I, I just I, I hold on to the idea, and I can't remember where it, where it comes from. And I think that's very natural. Oh, that's supported by social psychology that you remember the message, but not the author. Yeah. So if I've you know stolen from you, I apologize, but I'm sure you've done it from other people too. <laughs> There's nothing new under the sun. No, I almost tweeted something yesterday that I thought, hey, that's a really great idea, and then. I decided, well, no, let, let's let it stew for a couple hours because it might be a terrible idea. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly a tweet that I read from someone else a week ago <laughs> that I would have been completely ripping off. So, yeah, whatever. All right. Well, we have one final question. It's, it's a long one. He sets it up nicely. But this is uh, Matt Haddon, and he says, has anyone you interviewed ponder that current times with access to information at our fingertips with the internet and the prevailing nationalism in many countries could be similar to the conflict period in Europe around the Reformation's time due to the transfer of ideas slash books by the invention of the Gutenberg Press. And then he finishes it with uh, kind of similar to how Phyllis Tinkle uh, has said big things happened every 500-ish years yeah. of Christendom. Um, 
I did try to set up something with uh, Phil Stickle, um, but when I had uh, started reaching out uh, to her people, uh, she was uh, at the later stages of her life, not really able to to do an interview with her. So I never actually was able to talk to her about um, her idea of every 500 years the church has uh, what like a rummage sale or garage sale where you know, new ideas are brought in. And, you know, there's a lot of historians who would maybe push back on that as a very firm and rigid idea, but more, uh, I think the idea behind what she was trying to say is that, you know, every couple hundred years, you know, things change and as a general rule of thumb, yeah. So I haven't had anyone who specifically talked about it. I, uh, I know someone is working on something, uh, right now with that idea that's not really out in the public yet, but, um, so to answer your question succinctly, no, but I do think that connection of, the print, printing press and internet is very obvious. And even in, you know, the two or three years I've been doing this podcast, it's, it's changed drastically. You know, one of the things that, that used to happen is if I would get a person who had a, you know, large platform, when I would have them on the podcast, they would share it and it would get a huge spike in listens. And then, uh, you know, a handful of other people would stay around and continue to listen to the podcast. And that's how it would grow. But, but now there isn't like the huge spike anymore. Like if I have, you know, a well-known person, the spike in terms of total listens will not really go up because just the <clears throat> plethora of uh, opportunities for people to have their own podcasts. And so, you know, while the, like the total listens, you know, from this year is more than I had from last year, the individual spikes for each episode are substantially less, uh, uh, magnified just because there's just a a change right now. And so what was unique, you know, two or three years ago to get a, you know, Richard Rohr on a podcast is now just kind of, you know, the liturgist has had him on, you know, Rob's had him on. Uh, you, you can get a lot of his content in different places. And so I, I think, yeah, I, I mean, I think technology and the internet is always changing and, and things three years from now with podcasts might be completely different. But I think that's the exciting thing about it is that it's, I, and this is kind of the podcast. I think at first it was, you know, here are the new people. Uh, here are people we want to listen to. And now it's, uh, I want them, I, I assume the listeners want to hear a conversation that's typical with what happens on this podcast, and that's why they tune in. And, um, you know, it's kind of interesting to me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged and I'm grateful for it. So uh, I don't think that was a very direct answer to the question. The direct <laughs> answer to the question is no. <laughs> but if I didn't make five minutes out of that, I wouldn't have been a preacher. Well, I know we are getting close to the end of this, and uh, you can edit this out if you want to, but your mom and I have uh, really enjoyed watching the growth that you've experienced over the last several years, things that are manifested in really simple ways but are really profound to us, such as uh, when we have shared with you uh, some of our struggles uh, the depth of your listening, uh, your involvement to want to perpetuate the conversation, to take it deeper, uh, demonstrates to us that you have a greater capacity to care and to love for other people. And I wish this to your listeners, that as they continue to be uh, introduced to speakers uh, and new ideas, that the underlying love of God will just boil up within them and bring glory to His name and greater depth and, and nourishment to them. 
Well, I think that is a great benediction. And thank you so much. Thanks for doing this, Dad. Thank you for the effusive praise. I didn't even pay you for this, but it is definitely... <laughs> well, I've paid for it, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Avery, you want to say, uh, you want to say bye to everyone? Here, come use this microphone. checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.